Father, we thank you for this day. We do thank you that we get an extra Sunday of the year to worship you, to come together as brothers and sisters under your family, and just to be in your presence. God, what an honor it is. Sometimes we forget that you are our king, you are our Lord, our best friend. All of these things, God, we can take for granted, and yet you love us more and more than we could ever imagine. And so we thank you. Father, we pray that you speak to us today. We pray that we are changed, not by um, the words that we've prepared, not by simple songs that we sing, but by your Holy Spirit here today. In your mighty name, amen. You may be seated. Good morning, church. How are you doing? I have a simple verse for us today, a simple passage. Uh, it's one that you guys probably all know, at least for the first part. And so uh, the words are up there with you, but uh, if you can say it, then say it loud. John 3, 16 to 18, it goes like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the God's one and only Son. Amen. Hey, This is a popular verse. I, I looked up some of the stats about this verse. It's searched up 2.1 million times a month, this verse. It's ageless. It's timeless. It's one of the verses that I think is one of the most important verses in the Bible. Because for us, it captures God's heart for his people. It, it captures Jesus' sacrifice. It shows us the way to be saved and what saving means being in eternal life with God. It's the gospel in a nutshell. However, there is one word that appears four times in these verses. And it's a word I think we take for granted quite often. It's a word we say. It's a very common Christianese word. I say Christianese. It's one of those words that we say in church. But if we say it to other people outside of the church, they might not get what we're saying. But that word is believe. Whoever believes in him. What does it mean to believe? I'm a person of the ESL community, okay? And so I need things to be laid out fairly simple for me. And, and the Bible's words aren't so simple all the time. But thankfully for us, God lays out the meaning of believe, what it means to believe in him. In the Old Testament, the word believe is aman. And aman is this idea of an active, a dynamic trust in a person. And so to believe in God is to have an active and dynamic trust. What comes into mind is that
that whole trust exercise, you've probably done it before, where you have someone behind you and you fall backwards, trusting, hoping that they'll catch you before you fall on your head. And so to aman in God, to believe in God in the Old Testament, is the idea not just that you think he'll catch you, but it's also the action of falling backwards. It's active. It's dynamic. In the New Testament, the word is pisteo. And that means to accept as true. Pisteo. And we know what that means, whether you know it or not. Because each and every one of us believes that tomorrow the sun will rise. We operate our lives that way. We, we assume that it's going to happen. We accept it as truth. Now, you can just imagine what the world would be like if nobody had this kind of belief. The civilization would fall apart if everyone thought today was going to be the last day on earth. But we believe it as true. And so that's what pisteo means. It's to accept as true. And the message this morning, my challenge for all of us as we enter into the new year, is that we dare to believe in God. We dare to believe in God. And to believe in God in in a dynamic and active way that accepts as true who God is and what he says. Another person defined believing as living as though God is real. By that, they meant living as though God's actions throughout history are true. To live as though God's words for you and I are true. To live as though God's calling for us is truly our purpose. And I say as though not because truth is optional, right? God is true whether we believe it or not. But I say as though because I understand for each and every one of us to believe up here and to believe with our mouths, our hands, and our feet can be a daily struggle to connect. It's that active and dynamic trust to accept as truth, to live as truth what we believe in. In John chapter 20, verses 24 to 29, it reads, Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas, he said to them, unless I see his hands, the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see with my hand, with, and see my hands. And reach here your hand and put it to, into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord, my God. And Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who do not see 
and yet believe. Now, this passage comes after Jesus' death and resurrection, and, and he appears to the disciples without Thomas, and then he appears to him with Thomas again. And it's rough because I think the Apostle Thomas gets a bad reputation from this instance. If you've been around church long enough, you know that he has sort of this nickname. It's called Doubting Thomas, right? The church has decided for 2,000 years that this apostle is Doubting Thomas. Yet, I think we can all appreciate him for saying out loud what we and 99.99% of people in history would have been thinking. How many of us would feel as though our faith would be stronger if we could just see the holes in Jesus' hands and, and feel the side where he was pierced? How many of us throughout our faith journey have asked God for a sign, something tangible, something that we can hold on to and feel? To Thomas's credit, every tradition of the church after this instance tells us that he goes on to plant churches and to uh, go all the way even to India where he would meet his death as a martyr. Yet Jesus says, blessed are they who, do not, who did not see yet believed. And yet while we may not have the advantage of seeing Jesus, of, of feeling the wounds that he suffered for us, if doubting Thomas would go to the ends of the earth after doubting so much, then he must have seen and felt something real to convince him of his doubt. Even if we haven't seen Jesus or felt his wounds in that way, are you willing to believe, to live as though you have? Believing in Jesus' words, uh, in his actions, are important because we need to believe in his resurrection. If we don't believe in Jesus' resurrection, we can't believe in Jesus at all. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 14 to 17, it says, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Fairly harsh. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he was raised, that he has raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him, if in fact, English, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. See, this is, a, this is Paul. He's writing a letter to the church in Corinth because they don't believe in the resurrection. And what Paul is saying is that if you don't believe in the resurrection, if you don't believe truly that Jesus rose from the dead, then we're doomed. This is because the death of Jesus can lead to the forgiveness of our sins only if he rose again. The Father rising Jesus from the grave is the affirmation to us that everything that Jesus has said about himself, 
that Jesus has said about God and how we should live is true. The resurrection proves that the gospel is more than just behavioral modification. It's more than just social reform. It's more than just becoming a good person. The resurrection proves that Jesus is more than this great philosophical teacher of the past. It's that he is and is, present tense, our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. If you cannot believe in his actions, to live as though the actions of Jesus are true, his words will fall flat. There wouldn't be healing in Jesus' name. There wouldn't be freedom in Jesus' name without his life and resurrection. But if you do believe that the actions of Jesus are true, if you live as though the resurrection is true, and then Jesus is no longer teaching, he is commanding, he is revealing. Jesus is no longer a historical figure in the past, he is present with us right here and now. Believe in his actions. Live as though resurrection is a reality. It's true. Now let's pause to reflect for a moment on how different the world would be if every Christian lived as though Jesus' words were true. How different our lives would be, our workplaces, our schools, wherever we go to hang out with friends and family, our homes, how different would those places be if every Christian would believe that Jesus' words are true? Don't just think about how your life would be effective if every other believer believed in Jesus. But you yourself. If we believe Jesus when he says, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Do you believe when Jesus says, if you have faith like a mustard seed, and you go tell a mountain to move, it will move? Do you believe when Jesus says that his burden is light? His yoke is easy. To believe in the resurrection is to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Otherwise, God the Father wouldn't have raised him from the dead. Through the resurrection, Jesus is affirmed when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Which stands to say that whatever he says is the way, is the way. Whatever he says is the truth, is the truth. And whatever he says is life, must be life. Once we dare to believe in the word of God, we must also believe in real transformation through the Holy Spirit. Believing in God's word is so much more than knowing or even living out a set of do's or don't do's. 
Believing in God's word means believing that if we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That you can put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in your spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of Christ. And that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Believing in God's word requires us to believe that our lives should and can be changed. Because God says it does and can. Sometimes we can get discouraged if we don't feel the transformation that we expect to feel when we read the Bible. But if believing means to actively trust and to accept as true that the Holy Spirit is changing us and that's happening, then we must believe that we are being transformed, not as a result of our efforts, but rather our efforts are the result of it, of the change. Dallas Willard puts it this way, grace is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude, effort is an action. Grace, you know, does not have to do with forgiveness of sins alone. And so that's the question, will you dare to believe that Jesus should and can transform you? He says he should. He says that he can. But will you dare to believe that following God's commandments is more an expression of love rather than it is a way to manage your sin or to, for damage control in your life? Can you desire more than just becoming a good person but rather light of the world that God calls us to be? Can you, can you trust and accept as true that Jesus has a purpose and plan for your life, regardless of the sin of your past, present, and future. In 1955, God's words came to a woman named Dayuma through a group of missionaries. Dayuma came from the Wadawni tribe in the jungles of Ecuador. Now, death was nearer to Dayuma than most. As the Wadawni tribe discards life without much care, it's just part of their culture. Dayuma's own father and sister were murdered by their neighbors, who she herself narrowly escaped from. When the missionaries came uh, and they hired Dayuma to teach them the Wadawni language and culture, Dayuma grew particularly close to one of them, named Rachel. The two friends eventually would exchange stories. Rachel, who would read Dayuma the Bible, and Dayuma, who would describe her life in the jungle as a Wadani. Dayuma would recall that it was common to kill family, friends, and neighbors in her culture, and that she herself was once killed by her own mother. Then, after escaping her tribe and trying to start a new life, Dayuma lost her husband and child to measles, all of which to say she's had a hard life. After a few weeks of Dayuma teaching the missionaries Wadawni words and their culture, the men of the group decided that they were ready to search for a village and share the gospel. 
A few weeks after finding the village and having brief interactions with the villagers, the missionaries, which included Rachel and the other wives and women of the group, were speared to death. Some of the villagers who killed the missionaries were Dayuma's own relatives. Upon hearing the news, Rachel and the other remaining missionaries wept, and Dayuma grew afraid. You see, in her culture, it was expected that if someone murders your family, you would go and revenge kill a member of theirs. And so Dayuma, having heard these news, thought that Rachel and the other missionaries would try to kill her in exchange. But Rachel and the other missionaries, their response to this tragedy is what would change Dayuma's life forever. Because what Rachel and the other missionaries did was instead of seeking retribution, they decided to forgive those who murdered the, their friends and family, and, and for Rachel, her brother. And for, uh, and for Dayuma to see this and to see what, it, what a person who actually believes in Jesus' resurrection and his words looks like in real life allowed Jesus to change her life as well. Eventually, Dayuma would learn more and more about the Bible. She would eventually be an evangelist to her own people. She would return to the tribe which she hated and, and which she was afraid of to uh, not only teach Bible stories and not only teach about forgiveness, but to also teach about change and transformation. And throughout her ministry to her people, I mean, the murder rate of the villages went down by 90%. And more importantly than that, souls were saved in the process. This is the power of Jesus for those who dare to believe in his words with their lives. The urge to live out the gospel comes from beyond knowing what's right and wrong. It is in accepting as truth that Jesus is the Son of God and his commandments aren't suggestions for life, but it is the path for life. If you can dare to believe in what God has done and in, in what God has said, dare to believe in what God's calling for you. Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20, another popular verse. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely, I am with you always to the end of the age. If you can live as though the resurrection and the miracle of Jesus is true, if you can dare to believe the word of God and live them out as true, then you must also dare to believe that God is calling you. You, me, each of us. Now, I, I love highlight videos. We make one for youth every year. And what I love about this particular one that we saw today is that you get to see so many of the youth getting baptized, not just by Kyle or myself or the other pastoral staff, but by our leaders. Because I'm, I'm 
a huge believer that, you know, these, these awesome things aren't just, shouldn't be monopolized by pastors or elders or, or things like that, but that we are all called to do these things, to teach, to disciple, and to baptize. The most common barrier people confess that keeps them from sharing the gospel is a lack of knowledge. They say, I don't know enough. And yet, how many of us have recommended a restaurant before? How many of us have recommended a movie? For a restaurant, do you wait until you know all the steps and all the ingredients before you recommend that dish to somebody? No. If it's good, it's good, right? And if it's good, why not share it to other people? Or for a movie, do you wait until you figure out how each shot of the, uh, each scene is filmed and before you can memorize all the cast members of the film, before you share it to somebody? My wife's sick of me saying Godzilla is good. But it is good. But you know what's better than Godzilla? It's the gospel. The gospel's good. Yeah, surprise. Don't we believe that? And yet, we think we have this preconceived notion that, oh, I need to know more before I can share. I need to be, uh, I need to have this four-year college degree before I can share the gospel. When the opposite is the truth. If it's good, it's good. And if you enjoy it, why not have the people that you love enjoy it as well? I say all of these things while knowing full well that the church is not a monolith. Christians come in all shapes and sizes. <laughs> and I know that. With different personalities and strengths and weaknesses. But I believe that God's calling for us as individuals and as a church are much more important and much more potent than the barriers set before us. As I said earlier, connecting what we believe up here and what we believe with our mouths, our hands, and our feet can be a struggle. And yet, you look at passages like this one, John 14, verses 8 to 12. Philip, another one of the apostles, he says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing this, his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these. Because I am going to the Father. It's crazy that Philip doesn't get grilled as hard as Thomas for this. Yet... I, I think I would rather get grilled by the church than by Jesus. You would think 
when Jesus says that whoever believes in me will do even greater things than I, he would set the bar a little bit lower for us. And yet, he doesn't say some will be able to do the things that I've done. He doesn't say pastors and preachers will be able to do the things that I've done. He doesn't even say level 10 Christians and above will be able to do the things that I've done. He says whoever. And while in retrospect, we look into our lives and we think, well, that's, I don't know where that comes into play, Jesus, because all I've had this morning is like coffee and, and the will to come to church. Where is all of, this, all of these greater things that we can do? There's another occasion where Jesus says something unbelievable. In John 16, Jesus similarly says that it's good for us that he ascends into heaven. And when you read that, you think, okay, you can say what you want, but I would sure appreciate you being here with us. I think any one of us would prefer Jesus right here rather than any other preacher, right? And yet he says, it's good that I go to heaven to be with the Father. And this is, I think, what he says after is the key to um, the struggle of living out our calling. It's the key to this whole greater works deal. He says, so that I may send the Holy Spirit to you. The Bible teaches us in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 and 13 that the church is a body built up of different parts that work together. Each part vital in their own way. What I appreciate about these two chapters is that we are called the body of Christ, which hammers on to the point that each part of the church is valuable and honorable. And if you disagree, you could take it up with Jesus and tell, figure out which part of his body is not valuable or honorable. But the second thing that I appreciate about these two chapters is that after naming all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they say uh, the apostles, the prophets, the teachers, the miracle workers, helpers, counselors, uh, and the gift of tongues, we're told by Paul that there is an even greater way. It's something that we all each have a capacity for. It's something that we each don't need uh, to be six foot or taller or uh, to have great voices or anything like that. It's something that we all can do. And he says, I will teach you a more excellent way. And it is love. We are called to love. We can build the church through love. And by love, it isn't just any willy-nilly today's culture's definition of love. That is to love God and to love others. To love God and to love others in the way that Jesus has taught us to love. Not being afraid of rebuke or correction, but always willing the good of the other person. How do we define what good is for somebody? Again, Jesus teaches us. And so if we are able to accept as truth, if we are able to believe in, this, in the sense of living out as true, Jesus' actions and his words, 
then it's also true that Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. He tells us, you are equipped with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give you everything you need. He tells us, if you don't fit the bills of all the different gifts that the Holy Spirit can give, even better than that, you can love others and love God. That's something all of us, whether young or old, whether uh, able-bodied or not, that's something all of us can do, is to love God and to love others. Believe in God's calling in your life. You may have this amazing calling. You may have this amazing gift. We have Christians throughout history which God has raised up to do amazing things. But you may also be looking at your life and thinking you're not good enough, that you don't measure up, that there's a sin habit or this thing in your past that you've tried to fix a million times but it never works out and you have this notion that you have to get that sorted before you can come before God and and live in service of him. But that's when we really have to let the rubber meet the road. That's when we really have to believe that transformation is happening, not because of our efforts, but that our efforts are because of it. I'll close with this. I've been so encouraged by the love that our people have for our church. We have struggles and disagreements. No church is exempt from that. But when I look even at our youth ministry, so many wishing to serve and to sacrifice, people who are hungry to see what God will do next, from the parents to the youth to our leaders to the snack squad, I I called them that recently and they didn't protest. We have leaders, we have volunteers of all ages and backgrounds. We have have people who uh, have different talents and different capacities for things and yet they still have this hunger to live up to this calling that God has set before us. And beyond the youth ministry, I see that reflected, that spirit of determination and unity. It's reflected into the rest of our church. And so as we go into 2024, let us all dare to believe what God has called us to be. Salt of the earth and light of the world. Let's all dare to trust and accept as true that Jesus can redeem us. He can transform us and that he can do amazing things through us. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you because you provide everything. That all we need to do is be obedient and to trust you. That every step that we make forward is not an accomplishment of our own, but it's because you have given us the power to make that step. Father, I pray as we get into this new year that you show us even greater things than we've seen. More baptisms, more healing, more more people taking up their cross, more disciples. 
Father, we know that you can do far beyond what we are capable of. And so, Father, I pray, take the reins. Guide us, lead us, provide for us, and empower us. In your mighty name, amen.